robust ministry, uh, Lord, of our Sunday school department. It is exciting to see the growth of our Christian schools in both our academy and our college. And Lord, we thank you as we come to this day. It's a fellowship day. It's a, a report day. Most importantly, Lord, your word to help praise you for your goodness. And Lord, that we look to you to learn from your word to help us in our lives during this week. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless in the preaching of your word this morning. I pray that you'd give me power and understanding. Uh, Lord, uh, guide my thoughts and my every word. I pray that our attention would be given on purpose. In Jesus' name I pray, uh, amen. My faith uh, is tested in Isaiah chapter 1. I spend the majority of my time during the week during, uh, doing uh, four different things. I do the same things every week. I spend a considerable amount of time in counseling. I spend a considerable amount of time in prayer for God's people. I spend time teaching and preaching, and that takes up a good portion, probably about 40 hours of my work week this coming week. Tomorrow and Tuesday, I'll preach it. Chesapeake Baptist Church as I preach somewhere almost every Monday and Tuesday. On Tuesday at lunch I'll meet with several pastors in that area. Uh, Wednesday I'll be back for our Bible study on Wednesday night and uh, then on Thursday I'll teach at the college and then I'll preach in College Chapel. On Friday morning I will uh, record our television program and preach on that and then yesterday uh, which is a typical Saturday I spent about six hours yesterday in counseling and visiting and praying with folks that's that that's what I spend the majority of my time doing I think I golf one time a week and it provides comic relief for those that I go with I tell them if you'd put a little sand and water in the golf hole, I think I could hit the ball in there if you'd put that in there. I spend more time in the uh, woods and around the water. They think I'm working on the golf course rather than playing over there where everybody else is. I enjoy fishing, and I go fishing once a year, uh, sometimes twice, and I, I, I do what I do because not only every single week. Now, here's why I told you that. I enjoy helping people to know a personal, a personal and a beneficial walk with God. Our relationship with Christ is not just in name or in action. It is real. Uh, we have a heavenly father that loves us and he wants to help us and empower us and answer our prayers and, and meet our needs. And uh, my life, I desire, my goal is to help uh, many young men are here today that are surrendered for ministry and preparing for ministry. Uh, they'll never have a successful ministry until they have a successful personal walk with God. Occasionally I meet folks and uh, among uh, the groups uh, that I uh, speak to and meet with every week, I'll meet someone who has grown weary of the ways of the Lord and the things of the Lord. Uh, by that I mean they've lost their enjoyment of the Christian life. And they've lost their focus of the Christian life and some have even started looking back into the world where they were saved from and they're trying to decide, will I go back to the world or continue my walk with God? Isaiah deals with that very thing in Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to look right at this chapter today, and we're not just going to look at the faith of the generation that he's speaking to. We're going to look at this as a test of our faith. 
Uh, what would put our faith to the test? I, I, I don't want a faith that, that is just in name. I want a faith that's real. I, I want a faith that gets a response from God. God is the creator of the universe, and He is the one that uh, all things consist. He holds it together, and He is more than the creator. He's my heavenly Father, and He does Christian life. And in Isaiah chapter 1, he writes to a people that have rebelled against him. They have known the goodness of God. They have known the ways of God. But when God puts their faith on trial, he says to them, he said, you know, you've rebelled against me in that you don't even recognize the God that has provided everything you have. And, and he uses two illustrations. He takes two of the dumbest animals. He takes the oxen and the donkey. And, and, and he said, you know, they know the farmer that feeds them. They know who meets their need. They know who puts feed and water in the trough. But he said, you act as though you don't even know who I am or you don't know who's blessed your life. Our purpose today is not to look at that generation, but look at the test that he gave them that put their faith on trial. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go through life with the name Christian. I want my relationship with Christ to make a difference in my generation. And so I, I want you to notice the things that we see. First of all, God puts their faith on trial. And we'll begin at verse number 11 and see four different things that he did uh, to a people that were still going through religious motions. Uh, they were still going to the temple. It would be like us today attending church, putting our offering in the offering plate, uh, picking up a songbook and singing, maybe even uh, singing in the choir, working as an usher or teaching a Sunday school class. They were going through the motions of their religion, but he began to put their faith to the test. And there are four things I want to point out here. First of all, in verse number 11, their actions appealed to others, but not God. Now think about that. Their actions appealed to others, but their action didn't appeal to God. In other words, when they sang, someone said, wow, they're good singers. That's a good song. When they, when they came into church, wow, those are friendly people. I like those folks. And their religion appealed to one another, but it didn't appeal to God. Look at verse number 11, uh, what he says here. And we'll put our own faith uh, on trial today. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed, and, and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. Now, now what is he saying here? He is saying you're going through the motions of what you're doing, but you're not doing it because your heart loves me. And sometimes we can. We, we can write our tithe check. We can write our offering check and put it in the offering plate and have a organization that this thing to the Lord. And I'm not just singing to be heard of others. I'm not just singing to be uh, enjoy the song. Uh, when I say praise him, praise him, I'm thinking about the God that sits on the throne and all eternity and the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm praising him that I'm a saved person on my way to heaven. I'm praising him that my sins are forgiven. I'm praising him that my needs are met. And he goes beyond uh, their actions uh, and he goes to their attitudes and he goes to their heart and I ask us this morning, why do we sing? Why do we fill our place in the church? 
And sometimes we can get into a habit and we can grow numb in our behavior. And we can go through actions, especially, I grew up in church. I started going to church nine months before I was born. I've always been in church. I wouldn't know what to do on Sunday but be in church. I've always been in church. But if we're not careful, we get to the place that our actions are pleasing to others, but they're not acceptable in God's sight. I want my praise to be accepted from Him this morning. I want my giving to be accepted of Him this morning. I want my life to be accepted. It's not that we're trying to impress one another. It's trying. It's that we're pleasing the God of heaven. I want you to notice in verse number 12, he talks about not only actions that did not appeal to God, he talks about actions without authority. This is interesting in verse number 12. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? You see, the Jews were required to go to the acceptable. They were required to go to the place of worship. But when they went, it was not an acceptable worship because, don't miss this statement, we don't go to God on our terms. We go to God on his terms. I don't give God what I want him to have. He wants me to give him what it wants my the feelings, the desires of my heart, not just the emotions, not just the behaviors, but he wants my heart in what I'm doing. And in verse number 12, he said, why did you come? Did you come because you're required to come? Now, 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 growing up, I never asked the question of my mom and dad, are we going to church on Sunday? I knew if the sun came up on Sunday morning and we weren't in eternity, we'd be in church. That's just the way it was. That's the way we grew up. And if we're not careful, and young people listen to me that have the privilege to grow up in a Christian home, you're here today and you may say, well, I don't have any choice to be here. My mom and dad make me come. I mean, I don't even think about it. I come because that's what I'm supposed to do or that's what my parents make me do. We ought to come this morning because God wants us to be here. And I'm thankful for folks that invite others to come and I'm glad that we came because of a friend or because of a family or because of a need. But this morning we're in church because God wants us to be here. He said, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. Then he said, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're not here today because we wanted to come. We're here today because he wanted us to be here to worship him. We see another step in verse number 13. We see action without affection. And action without affection he calls iniquity. It's a powerful, powerful verse here. He says, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. Now in the Old Testament economy, as they would go in and they would offer incense, they would, they would burn a candle-like, they would burn an incense in that sweet-smelling savor. Uh, that was uh, them uh, telling God that they were there uh, to worship Him. In the New Testament economy, economy, Christ fulfilled all of those types and figures. So today I don't light a candle, I don't burn incense, I pray to God. I pray that's the replacement of the incense in the Old Testament. But he said, you come, and he said, your incense is just to go through the motion of that prayer, but the prayer is not from a hunger of the heart. The prayer is not from a commitment to me as God. You're just going through the motion. And he's pretty strong in his language here. He says in verse number 13, don't bring vain oblations. He's not saying stop praying. He said, think about what you're praying. He's not saying, stop singing. 
He's saying when he is and what he does in our life. And in verse number 13, he said, Incense is an abomination unto me. Isn't it something that the prayer of the saints would not be a blessing to God, but we have been an abomination to God because we have memorized words to say, again, that impress others, but have no moving of the God of heaven. And we come to church and I'm glad that we're here and I'm excited for what God is doing in our church and what he's been doing all of these years. I'm excited about the new building and I could go on and on about God's blessings and God's goodness. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll get caught up in the actions and the behaviors and we'll stop thinking about, now I'm not here because of others. Oh, I enjoy my friends in fellowship. I'm here to praise him because of who he is and what he's done in my life. I don't want my prayer to be an abomination to God. I want my prayer to be a blessing to God. I want my praise to be a blessing. And then he says in verses 14, 15, and 16, he said, your actions are also without acceptance. In other words, they never make it to God. Look at verse number 14. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Now, these folks are going through the actions of right. Others look at them and say, look, boy, they're faithful to go to the temple. Uh, they're faithful to give their worship. They're faithful uh, in their incense. And yet there is no heartfelt meaning. There's no connection with the God of heaven. He said in verse number 15, And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Now that phrase is talking about the fact you've lived in sin. You've lived in iniquity. You've broken my law. You've disobeyed my word. And you come to church like there's nothing to it. And you just come and praise me like there is absolutely no problem in the world. And you just go against my law and then come and praise me. He said, I don't want any of that. You know what he's saying? Folks, when we came, we took some preparation hour. We took a bath. We... We put on our best clothes. We got ourselves as uh, good looking as we could. Some of us didn't have much to work with, but we did the best we could. But there's more to church than our appearance. Are you with me this morning? God didn't see on the outside. God didn't look this morning and say, hey, preacher, that's a good looking suit you got on there. God didn't say, well, I like those shoes. I, I, I like that tie, that sharp, brother young. He didn't look at that. You know what he's looking at? He's looking at the inside. He's not saying, wow, look at that choir director and his ability to lead the singing. He's looking at the heart of the man that's leading folks to sing praises to him. That's what God's looking for. That's pretty tough when you come to church and a preacher doesn't preach against the heathen in a third world country, but he preaches against your own sin, isn't it? But we this morning, we want to have a right relationship with God. I met with a man this week and he said, preacher, I've just... I've, I've lost my joy. I, I, I've just lost. I, I used to look forward to going to church. I, I used to look forward to singing. I used to look forward to it. He said, what's happened to me? And one of the passages of Scripture was this passage and others that we went through. And I said, you can have that back again. Isaiah chapter 1 was not given just as a test to show us the weakness of our faith, but to show us how to increase our worship and our faith so it is pleasing to God. Before I get to that, I want to point out the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is in verse 15. I want you to look at it again. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, 
I will not hear. I do not know of anything more sad to me. In fact, it would take my life away if I thought I couldn't get my prayers answered. I prayed for folks this week in faith believing that God heard my prayer and God would respond to my prayer, not because of who I am, but because of who he is and my faith in him. I can't imagine my privilege of prayer being taken away. I knelt with folks and I prayed with folks this week that have serious illnesses and they have heartbreaks and there are some, they have living conditions that only God can fix. And when I went to God in prayer, I wasn't going through motions. And when I finished the prayer and finished the meeting, I carried the burden of that prayer saying, Oh God, they need your help. They need you to change. There are young people in our church and riding our buses right now whose parents curse them for coming to church. The parents didn't say, I'm proud of you for going to church. I want to sit beside you in church. They cursed them. They told them they were crazy for going to church. My heart broke as I prayed for those children yesterday and the children in our city that will come by the hundreds on our buses today. I just cannot imagine not being able to get my prayers answered. So when I come to church, I don't go through the motions. Man, I want to have a heart that's right with God. I'll be honest with you, I, I can't imagine, don't tell my children this, but I can't imagine my children not coming to me to ask me to help them meet their needs. Boys, don't take that too serious. <laughs> Don't, 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 don't overstate it. You as parents and grandparents, you know what a blessing it is when a child says, Dad, I need to get some advice on this. Dad, I need 20 bucks. See you, Mom. I'll give you the advice. Mom's in charge of the finances. <laughs> My grandchildren just to say, Papa, can I have a mint? They know I carry breath mints in my left pocket. They, they know I do. And then they, they come to me, Papa, can I have a mint? Isn't it a blessing to be able to give? I don't know about you, but I can't imagine not being able to go to my Heavenly Father. Not be able to drive by your business. Several of you have businesses. I've, I've been by your parking lot this week. And I've said, oh, God bless their business and their faithfulness to you. God bless their growth. Help them to grow and be successful. Our, our church is filled with men that work hard and ladies that work hard to prepare. I can't imagine. I've got to go on from this point. But dear friend, you understand when we come to the place that we have just doing ocean of serious in our worship with God, we lose that ability to get our prayers answered. Here's the purpose of the message. There's a remedy that is given in verses 16, 17, and 18. And I love these verses. You see, God is not telling them in Isaiah chapter 1, you're like an oxen, you're like a donkey, you don't even know the master's crib. Now get out of here, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's not at all what he is saying. When he tells them their condition, he says... I want to fix this. I want to show you how you can fix this. I want to show you how you can make your worship of me and our, our relationship, how you can make it enjoyable and productive. First of all, there is the decision 
of repentance. Now, the word repentance simply means a change of mind, the decision of repentance. A lot of folks, when they think of spiritual, they, they, they think of something falling out of the sky and hitting them in the head. I mean, something, it has to be some kind of a spooky dream or some kind of a near-death experience. And I'm not diminishing what God would do to get our attention. But dear friend, our relationship with God, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, uh, something like that. It has something to do with just our decision to say, I'm going to change my life. I'm not going through a motionless Christianity. I want a Christianity that puts joy in my heart. I want a Christianity that causes my faith in God to be strong, even when the circumstances are bad, even when the things that I face seem impossible. I want to have a faith in God. And he says here, first of all, uh, there is a decision of repentance. I knelt beside a dear friend this week, a man that's been a member of our Spanish church for some time. He said, preacher, how do I overcome these wrongs? I said, you make a decision. You just, you just get on your knees and tell God you're sorry. I said, let me show you. I knelt down, had a chair beside him. I said, get on your knees. I said, it won't do you any good if you just say the words. If you tell God you're going to make a change, you just make it and say, God, I don't want to live like that. I want to go to church and enjoy the singing. I want to go to church and I want to enjoy. I want to read the Bible and I want to enjoy your word. There is a decision of repentance. Look at verse number 16. Wash you. Make you clean. You didn't have an emotional experience to take a shower this morning. You just did it. And that's what repentance is. To make a change in our life is just making a decision. A decision of repentance. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. And then he says this, learn to do well. And so we have a, desire, a decision of repentance. Now we have a desire of repentance or a desire to be changed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be cold toward God. There are times I've gotten on my knees. And it just seemed like I was on my knees. And as I prayed, nothing happened. I have a friend that's in heaven now. He's a preacher for 50-some years. And they ask him the question often, Preacher, how much do you read the Bible in the morning? And his answer was this, I read the Bible till I get the heartburn. He said, I read the book until my heart begins to burn, until God speaks to my heart. A desire for repentance. We want to have a relationship with God that we can go to God in prayer for our children. We can go to God in prayer for our grandchildren. One of the greatest compliments you'll ever receive as a Christian is when someone that is in need comes to you and says, will you pray for me? Not because I prayed prayers this week that praise God they have been answered and they've been answered not because of anyone that's important. Uh, my, my life is simple but my God is great and he desires to hear the prayers of a contrite spirit. So there's the decision of repentance, there's a desire of repentance and then there is a direction. There's just a change in behavior. You know why folks didn't come to church this morning they didn't come? Now, some could not. It was sick. I understand that. You know why the majority of folks didn't come? They didn't want to. They just didn't want to. You know why you came? You wanted to. You made a decision. 
No, no, nobody said if you don't go to church with them, we'll put you in jail. I made a joke with a few folks about that this week and told them if you don't come back, I'm going to get a warrant out on for your arrest. But you didn't come. You came for one reason. You made a decision to come. And in this passage of Scripture, he talks about a decision of repentance, a desire for repentance, and a direction of repentance. Look at verse number 17. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead the widow. Look at verse number 18. I love it. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool, as wool. Look at verse 19. You, you, if you don't have it marked, you want to mark this in, 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 in your Bible. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. I have an amazing heavenly father. He wants to bless my life. I'm not talking about just material blessings. I'm talking about peace that only he can give. I'm talking about a comfort. I'm talking about assurance. I'm talking about a wisdom. I'm talking about a love and a comfort that only God can give. And he said, if you be willing and obedient, willing and obedient, making a decision, you shall eat the good of the land. I ask you a question this morning. Putting our faith to the test, how does it stand this morning? Our purpose is not to say my faith is no good. My faith is weak. My faith has failed. The purpose of the message is to look at it in reality and say, I'm going to increase it. I'm going to make it good. I'm going to make my faith. I'm going to make my service. I'm going to make my worship for God right. I'm going to make it what it ought to be. I don't know about you, but I enjoy eating. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I ask you this morning, will you accept Him as your Savior? Revelation chapter 20, it's a simple illustration. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, Will you let me in? If you'll let me in, I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. That's what he desires. Salvation is like offering a glass of water to someone that's thirsty and them receiving that water. That's what salvation is like, receiving that. Receiving the love and the goodness of God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I wonder if there are folks here this morning, and I'm not trying to embarrass you. I wouldn't do that for the world. I'm just asking the question for the sake of prayer. I wonder how many of you would say, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I've never received Christ as Savior. I need to receive Him as my Savior. Would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I need to receive Christ as my Savior. Is there anyone else? In just a moment, when we have our invitation and He sings, if you raised your hand, even if you didn't raise your hand, but you haven't received Christ, if you'll step out of your seat and tell one of these men that are standing in the front, they'll take the Bible and show you, you can know for sure Heaven is your home and Christ is your Savior. One other question. I wonder how many would say, Preacher, my faith, my worship to God, my service for God, it needs to be improved according to Isaiah chapter 1. Would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me this morning. 
hands all over the building. May God help us. Heavenly Father, we do not want our worship to be an exercise in futility. We don't want our worship to be impressive to others. <clears throat> we want it to be acceptable in your sight. We want you to be able to hear in this broken society that we live in. Oh, how we need Christians who have a right walk with you. Bless our invitation this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're here today.